It's the Tuesday edition of Locked On Heat on today's show. Ray Allen makes the Hall of Fame, but Heat legend Tim Hardaway is still waiting for his call. And we open up the mailbag to talk about some potential offseason targets, including a Hassan Whiteside replacement. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. Let's get to the show. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm a credentialed writer covering the NBA for the Step Back, and I write for the Miami Heat's tip-off magazine. You can find me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And I'm David Romillo, credentialed NBA writer who's covered the Heat for SB Nation and onheat.com. I cover the league at large for fansided, and you can follow me and my writing on Twitter at dromel 13 We've postponed Mailbag Monday to Tuesday. So we're getting into some of your questions that you submitted to us, uh, either on Twitter at LockedOnHeat or by email, LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. Let's get to this first one from Caesar, who asks, what is your opinion on Tim Hardaway not being a Hall of Famer? He should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. What do you think, David? Should he? I don't think it's a slam dunk, to be honest with you. Um, you know, Right now, basketball reference lists his, his chances of making it to the Hall at somewhere around 80%. Not uh, not exactly hmm. ideal. Um, and I just kind of tend to look at what, what Tim Hardaway's overall impact was while he was playing. He didn't necessarily change the game dramatically. He didn't have an impact on it, uh, even in the era in which he played. He was an undersized guard that wasn't much of a defender, was an opportunistic passer and capable of making, you know, good plays to find the open man. As much fun as he was to watch and much as much as he embodied the oomph and the, the, the gumption of those Heat teams when Pat Riley took over, those teams were undoubtedly driven by Alonzo Mourning, and that's why I think he got the call a lot sooner than Hardaway did. Um, so Hardaway was a good shooter, and you know he, he wasn't even necessarily a great shooter, though, and that's part of the problem is that he's best known for that and that crossover move. Um, but then he, he never really topped the 20-point mark except for a few seasons, you know, and I think the – the tail end of his career, I had, I had looked back at this at, at, uh, in, in basketball reference to double check this because I had totally forgot. He spent time in Dallas, then in Denver, then one season yeah. in Indiana where he was just a shell of his former self. Like Miami got everything they possibly could out of him. And as they were asking him to take less and less pay to, to you know go along with his declining skills, he refused to accept that as so many players do. Uh, I, I love Tim Hardaway personally because, again, it was just so much fun watching those teams play at such a high level. But when you look at his overall impact, I don't know that it's Hall of Fame worthy. You know, the one – speaking of his basketball reference page, they have a thing uh, kind of called the similarity score. Yes. Right? And it kind of ju- – it scores players, for lack of a better word, uh, using some complicated formulas uh, and win shares. Um kind of to score them to how similar they are to other players. And Tim Hardaway is most similar to guys like Stefan Marbury, Kevin Johnson, Tiny Archambault. I mean, these are guys who were memorable players, but not necessarily. Sure. You look at a guy like Steph, Stefan Marbury, is he a Hall of Famer? Is Kevin Johnson a Hall of Famer? No. I just, they're not. And Tim Hardaway, you know, the biggest case for Tim Hardaway, I think, are two things. Number one, people loved watching him play. So he's going to get, 
I, I think he's going to get some love there and could maybe one day find his way in just because people liked watching him play just from a, a, an emotional standpoint. He was just fun. I mean, he played fast. Yeah. He shot the ball from range, uh, uh, from three-point range. It was one of the early guys doing that. That was fun. Again, the crossover move, everybody loved that. And then the other part with Hardaway, which I, I do think is significant in his Hall of Fame resume, so to speak, he, he peaked two different times in his career, which I think is important. He didn't just have – he had, he had uh, that three-year – Three or four year window in Golden State, right? Mm-hmm. Where he was a three time All Star, top, you know, he had in, in his second season scored almost 23 points a game, had 23.4 points per game after that, 21.5 points per game after that, and 20.1 points per game in the season after that. Um, he missed one year in between because of a knee injury. He missed the 93 94 season. Um, always shot a, a high percentage, had an, uh, in, in, in top nine assists in each of those years um, in Golden State, two years topping 10 assists. So averaging a double-double in two of those seasons in Golden State. Then had a number of – and then went to Miami and had another peak in 90, between 1996 to 1999, right, where where he scored 20 points a game, then 19 points a game, then 17.4 points per game, all while having relatively high assist numbers So he, and, and made the All-Star game twice. So he made the All-Star game again every year between 1990 and 1993 – and then had another peak from 96 to 98 where he made the All-Star game two more times at his age 30 and 31 seasons. So that helps. I mean, other all, all other all Hall of Fame players have – you look at their kind of career and they've got like two or three different peaks. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and so that helps Tim Hardaway's case. But I agree with you overall. His impact was, wasn't enough to make him in the Hall of Fame right now, especially when you look at a guy like – you look at everybody who got inducted this time around, Jason Kidd, Ray Allen. I mean, these are guys who had huge, massive impacts on the game, won championships uh, in the NBA. Again, another thing that Hardaway never got. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I think his resume falls just a little too short. I, one of the players that I've seen a lot of people compare as far as the overall case that Hardaway presents for the Hall of Fame class is Mitch Richmond, who was just elected, I believe it was last year. And Richmond, uh, also part of that run TMC group in Golden State, along with Chris Mullen and Hardaway, he was a far better player. Not only was he a special scorer during his tenure with the Sacramento Kings, but he went on to have uh, you know some championship success as a minor player with the Los Angeles Lakers. So I think that also constitutes a factor. I think that's also a factor in the decision-making process is that Hardaway, unfortunately, never got a chance to win a ring. And again, I think that latter part of his career – where he was struggling, where he was just hanging on and not really making an impact on the floor, uh, where he was a shell of the former player that he was, really kind of hurts how people perceive him. You know, it's it's just it's weird how narratives play into it. Where as Alonzo Mourning, you know, he was hurt his last year uh, when, with the Heat, but the even the two years before that, he was not a great player. I mean, he was a perfect complement to the scoring, bullying presence of Shaquille O'Neal and that Alonzo was a much more willing and able defender, still blocking shots as a weak side help defender, et cetera. Uh, but he wasn't exactly the presence that he was earlier on in Miami, but still because they won his championship, because of his – just the fact that he played with his heart the way that he did. Um, you know, even when I got a chance to talk to Hardaway recently, he you know, he spoke about Alonzo as a warrior, et cetera. I think that really shapes how people perceive the two. You know, Alonzo was this great warrior who gave it his all – Hardaway was more of a, a chucker, a bomber who really played hard, but didn't necessarily play with his heart on the line. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I think that's right. how a lot of people perceive his career in Miami. So Ray Allen, right, making 
making the Hall of Fame. Um, he's obviously deserving. I mean, you look at at his impact on the game from from when he was in Seattle, Milwaukee, and, and Boston and Miami. I think he could I mean, debate that. I'll be honest with you. I think he could really? debate that. Yeah, I think so. Like you could say that a lot of those points he put up in Seattle and Milwaukee were empty points. I mean, those teams were mm. not legitimate playoff contenders. You're uh, taking you know, a lot of guys out of the Hall of Fame then. Yeah, look, you're absolutely right. I mean, the criteria for that, a lot of it is subjective. You know, uh, is Dominique Wilkins a guy that's a Hall of Famer? You know, he was a, a scorer. He wasn't much of a defender. He wasn't a, any kind of a passer. Uh, Ray Allen wasn't much of a passer either and, and not really much of a defender. So, I mean, look, again, I think that the tail end of his career where he hits the shot in the game six, even before that, where he went to championship in Boston and he's part of a, a historically great team, perhaps. Uh, I think that shapes how a lot of people. Perceive if he doesn't win that champion, if he doesn't go to, Bo- if he doesn't get traded to Boston, wins a championship there, and then doesn't, I, I think if after the Boston championship, I think I think he would have made the Hall of Fame. But then after hitting that shot in Game Six of the Finals for the Heat, it that's what made lock. him like a, that. That's when he became a lock, and and uh, he was a first ballot, right? This was the first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. So you you compare him to guys like Steve Nash and Jason Kidd. Um, Nash and Kidd in particular obviously deserve to be in there just for their overall impact on the game. Grant Hill, Mo Cheeks, um, I have no problem with them getting in. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with Ray Allen getting in. But you're, but to go back to the Allen thing, if he doesn't go to Boston, win that championship there, and then obviously doesn't go to Miami, his career probably looks a lot like Tim Hardaway's, right? Yeah, maybe even worse. I mean, look, the, the fact that Seattle. Uh, you know, he, he he got basically jettisoned to Seattle at a point when they weren't particularly good. Play alongside guys like Richard Lewis and and a bunch of other journeyman players. You know, it, it's reading that book that he that's uh, coming out soon or it has come mm-hmm. out already. You know, kind of refresh my memory about how we perceive his career. Like, yeah, he was part of a great up and coming Milwaukee team, and then he got traded for older Gary Payton. You know, that's how badly they wanted him gone in Milwaukee. And a lot of that was, you know, due to their head coach. Um, but at the same time, you know, he could have just stayed in Seattle. What if it, What if he had been there in Seattle when they transitioned to Oklahoma City? Maybe he would have been part of something good there alongside of mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook and, 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 yeah, and, and Kevin uh, uh, Kevin Durant. Durant. Maybe, maybe James Harden never becomes James Harden. Maybe they never draft him there. So that's a, an interesting perspective. But – um, and, and maybe then that strengthens his Hall of Fame career. Who knows? I mean, maybe I mean, getting the, the hitting the great, the best, shot, the greatest shot in NBA Finals history. I mean, that is the moment, right? That is when the moment he became a lock. Um, he wasn't not going to be in the Hall of Fame after that. And a lot of players look up to Ray Allen as far as you know. I listened to him on the JJ Redick podcast recently, and Redick's basically like, "I wanted to be you, and I wanted to be Reggie Miller. That's who I wanted to be." And Reggie Miller is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much that's worth, but. Something. Uh, next, we've got an idea on how the Heat can get even more versatile in the front court next season. But first, a quick reminder to subscribe to Locked On NBA. It's the only daily NBA podcast that's less than 30 minutes long and delivers the most important news, scores, and storylines of the day. Perfect to listen to on your morning commute while you're at the gym or during your lunch break. And make sure you listen to today's show, Tuesday, when Wes and I will be hosting for the rest of the season. To make sure you get the latest episode every day, subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcasting app. The Heat may need to replace Wayne Ellington in the offseason. We got a mailbag question about a potential option, but let's go to this next question from Marcus, who writes in, here's my dream scenario for the Heat making a big splash this offseason. Trade Hassan and whoever to clear up enough cap for hopefully a late first-round pick. That would allow the Heat to offer Julius Randle a deal the Lakers won't match since they want to keep two max spots open. What do you guys think? Marcus, you're speaking my language. 
I'm the Julius. I'm on that Julius Randall train forever for life. Yeah, I'm you, a Julius Randall. Zach Lower co-conducting that train. I think I'm all for it. I thought the Heat should have offered Julius, tried to trade for Julius Randall this season, seeing yeah. how um, the the Lakers potentially were looking to move him, or they were looking to move him. I mean, if you believe the reports, we're looking to move him even as early as last summer because again, they are eyeing two max players this summer, namely LeBron and Paul George. So they were looking to move Julius Randall potentially. I thought that would have been a better option than even re-signing James Johnson. I thought you, you look for your next James Johnson. Don't pay James Johnson $14 million a year. The Heat eventually did that. They paid James Johnson the big contract. But I thought it would have been worth just trading for Julius Randle. Randle's blowing up this season again. He's gotten better every single year in the NBA. He is a versatile big who can grab a, a rebound, push it down the court, and find find guys in transition. He's a good passer for his size. He's got good touch around the rim. He bullies Miami pr- pretty much every time they play him. Absolutely. And um, he's got nothing but upside. I'm I'm all in on Julius Randle. If they could find a way to trade for him, if they if if it looks like the Lakers are in the running for LeBron and Paul George and they need to move somebody and that somebody is Julius Randle and the Heat could get him for the cheap, they better be on the phone. Uh, I'll I'll ask this and I think you know that I feel the same way about Randle and his ability to contribute, but I, I question whether or not he'd be able to fit into this lineup as it's currently constructed. Like, I, I mean, I love the idea of Randall because of his versatility, because of his bullying nature and everything else and the way he works around the b- basket. But I'm not so sure that he fits on this team as it's currently constructed. Yeah, obviously, you're trading away Hassan Whiteside, so forget about that. But even on this team with Kelly Olenek, Bam Adebayo, uh, and whomever else you have, Deion Waiters coming back, is Randall going to get the ball enough in next year's rotation where he would justify that kind of contract? Are we going to see another situation where he's going to complain about not getting enough touches? Um, does his bullying style of play fit with the kind of sharing the ball mentality that Miami's offense currently displays and, and probably will next season as well? That's the other question, right, is where does Randall fit in? I just think that with a guy like his skill set, if you're able to move, say, on Hassan Whiteside – um, you start to open up a little bit more room there. Maybe you're able to move on from James Johnson, um, in some way or another, and and replace him there. I mean, somebody from that front court has to get moved in that deal where you're getting Julius. Can Randall I offer back. another suggestion? Sure. How about would you prefer Julius Randle or Aaron Gordon? Oh, Aaron Gordon. The Heat don't there have what it takes to move to get Aaron Aaron Gordon, though, right? There's no. Way. I, I mean, he's a restricted free agent. Um, I don't know that. Oh, I thought we were uh, talking about like a signing Orlando trade or something like that. To, are we assuming that Gordon's going to get such a huge offer, a substantially bigger offer than what Randall will get? Mm. Yeah. Well, that's fair. I mean, I, mean, I feel like the team that makes Aaron Gordon deals is going to be somebody like, like I don't know, an, an maybe Charlotte moves Kemba Walker in between yeah, for I mean, that's Aaron it's Gordon and Vucevic or um, something crazy like that. I don't know. Or like a team with a, a top seven draft pick is able to make a move for Aaron Gordon and, and Orlando can, hits the reset button again. If Orlando lets Aaron Gordon go, though, they're wow. insane. They should pay him whatever it takes. I mean, well, they, you they, know, I wrote about it. You have? I, yeah, because I, I just I don't know that he's the kind of guy you build around. Like, I, I mean, I like Aaron. I like talking to Aaron. He's interesting and funny and and, and weird in some ways. And so he's a, he's a fun player to have, and certainly there's a lot of upside as far as his athletic potential and everything else. But, I mean – 
he, he's been part of this losing culture for four years. Yeah. Is he the kind of guy that you can build around? I don't know. I mean, he's one of the few positives that have, he's one of the few things that have worked out for the magic in a long time. Um, basically since the Dwight Howard trade. So I think you keep him, but this is, you know, we don't need to talk locked on magic yet. Um, yeah. So uh, if you're the heat, I would rather have Aaron Gordon over Julius Randle, but I'm a huge Randle fan, as I've said a thousand times, and I would love to have Randle. I just, I don't see it happening if we're going to get right down to it. Uh, and, and going back to Marcus's question, I don't see it happening. I just don't think the heat have what the Lakers would be looking for. Basically, smaller contracts the heat have tend to have larger contracts and draft picks if you're the lakers maybe trying to take draft picks back instead of salary if you're really trying to clear up that max cap space maybe there's a three-way deal where you move white size somewhere and the third team moves what the lakers would be looking for and then randall goes to miami but that's a whole other rabbit hole that we don't need to get into right now um but let's go let's move on to our next thing we're gonna take a break from the mailbag first sort of um we still we asked you guys to send us um, recommendations for Kelly Olenek nicknames because it has seemed lately that Olenek has basically mi- has been making the big shots, the clutch shots, so to speak, when the Heat have needed him most. And you look at a guy like Chris Bosh, who always had that nickname, Big Shot Bosh, and that's what we would tweet and say when he would make those big shots. We haven't really had anything for Kelly Olenek. I still like Kelly Onions Linick, David. You tend to hate that, and I'm not sure why. But um, it, ha- it hasn't been picked up by the, the Heat Twitter and it hasn't been picked up here. I'm on my own Kelly on onions Linux Island here. So we, we asked the <laughs> listeners to submit their recommendations. We've got, we've got three suggestions here that I wanted to point out. I'm going to read them to you, David, and I want you to pick your favorite. So All right. ready. Okay. First one from at David D or David B pal, Kelly clutch, simple, sweet, short to the point. Yeah. Kelly clutch. Okay. We got another one from at Huffin underscore the one. I think it's Huffman underscore the one TKO Linux TKO TKO Linux clever there. All right. Uh, And then this one coming from at rooster seven XC knockout Kelly. Sure. KO knockout. Can that make sense? So those are our three. What's your favorite? (sighs) You know, wow. That's a tough one. Um, All good. Yes. Onions Linux is the, the probably the fourth option out of all four. Agree to disagree. It's fine. It just it just doesn't roll off the tongue, my man. I'm sorry. I, I you know I I love your creativity. Just uh, I think it kind of backfired on you on this one. Uh, I, I've got to go with TKO Linux. I think it, it's uh, it makes sense. It's the knockout punch there. I kind of like it. I, I, does Kelly O Clutch work? I mean, I, I want to kind of play it off. It makes it sound more like he's a disgruntled leprechaun, Kelly O Clutch. But um, I don't know. Maybe it'll work. Uh, knockout Kelly. I like that one too. Uh, but I like the TKO part of it. I, I don't know why. It just kind of appeals to me. TKO Linux. I'm, I'm favoring Kelly Clutch or TKO Linux. I like Kelly Clutch because it's a little versatile. It's it's a little bit more generic uh, or vague. or uh, So it might not be the knockout shot, but it's just a clutch shot, which he sometimes makes in like the third quarter. You can't necessarily call like the knockout shot in the third quarter that he makes a KO, but you mm-hmm. can call it a clutch shot, I, I suppose. Um, mm. TKO Linux at the end of games. I think I think we could work with both of them. I think maybe quarters one to three, it's Kelly Clutch, and then in in quarter four, it's TKO Linux. If he gets any playing time in the fourth quarter, yeah. Well, we know the Heat hate to play set seven footers in the fourth quarter. Oh, At least no, he won't complain about side. it to the media. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on in our mailbag. But first, did you know that you can stream this podcast Locked On Heat on Spotify right now? It's easy. Open Spotify on your device or on your desktop. 
click on browse and then click on the podcast section or just search for Locked On Heat. You can also stream the show on your smart speaker, such as Amazon Echo or Google Home. Now, it's that much easier to, to stay up to date on the latest episodes of Locked On Heat, the only daily Miami Heat podcast. All right. Jerome writes in, can Joe Harris from the Nets be a Wayne Ellington replacement this offseason? So Joe Harris, uh, shooting guard for the Brooklyn Nets. Nice player, having a good season for them, um, but but is going to be a free, an unrestricted free agent this summer. Do you see him as a replacement, David? I think he's going to be about the same price as Wayne Ellington, if not higher, just because he's younger. You really think so? I mean, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that. I mean, I feel like he's he's got that potential. I feel like he's almost a better shooter than, than Ellington is, too. Like, more of a catch-and-shoot guy, not necessarily coming around screens the way uh, Ellington does. He's shooting 41% on four-and-a-half three-point attempts this season, averaging 10.7 points per game. I think he's going to get paid. Yeah, I mean, those numbers, you know, it's the Brooklyn factor. Who I else mean, is going to put up those points? Sure. But, but, he's, but he's 26 years old. He plays better defense. Got good size at 6'6", 220. I just think his upside is a little bit higher now. Again, guards aren't going to be getting paid a whole lot. We, we saw, like, the Lou Williams extension. It's sort of setting the barometer for what guards might be getting paid. And Joe Harris isn't Lou Williams, right? Huh. But again, he's younger. He's got upside there. I think he's gonna. I don't. I don't think he's gonna make. Le- I don't think he's gonna get less money than Wayne Ellington. I should say. So, so if the Heat are gonna, yeah, they they won't be able to re-sign Ellington. They certainly won't be able to re-sign Harris, in your opinion. Exactly, because and they do have the early bird rights on Ellington, so it would probably be easier to re-sign Ellington than it would be Harris. And again, none of it matters if the Heat aren't able to clear cap space. Now, if if it were me. I'd prefer Joe Harris over Wayne Ellington again, just because of the upside there. I think Wayne Ellington is probably a better player right now, um, with a with and the way he impacts Miami spacing is better right now. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for guys that you're trying to get young and build with, Joe Harris is one of those guys. But again, I don't know. I, I I'm also kind of thinking Wayne Ellington. I think is going to walk just because he's going to be expensive, and then you just let the rest of the the backcourt stay. I don't know if you necessarily need to replace Wayne Ellington. I think the Wayne Ellington replacement is Rodney McGrew. Oh, I thought you were going to say Matt Williams. I, Go Knights, but I, I do think it's <laughs> he wasn't able to make the roster this year. I think it's Rodney Magruder. I think you look at the way he's progressed with his three point shooting over the last couple of years, and just sort of the things he's able to do not only defensively, but the way he's developed putting the ball on the floor and, and attacking off the dribble and just doing all those little in between things that Wayne Ellington isn't necessarily able to do. Yeah, you lose a little bit in the shooting from shoot, uh, shooting perspective, but you gain a lot more on the defensive end. And then you can look at guys like Tyler Johnson and Josh Richardson to have a bigger impact from three-point range as well. I think that's the, the Wayne Ellington replacement. I don't think you need to necessarily go out and find a replacement mm-hmm. for him. Again, because he might not even have the money right. to do it, but they've also got such a log jam in the backcourt. If they're not able to make a deal, uh, make a trade and sort of clear it out, I think you just stick with who you got. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't brought up Matt Williams in a while. I mean, I know he hasn't made the Heat roster, but is he in, still in Sioux Falls? It, it's, it's a – Still in Sioux Falls, it's a sore spot. I really, I was really hoping that he'd make an impact on the two-way contract. Um, they cut him and, and then brought on Derek Jones Jr., yeah. um, who has admittedly been better than Matt Williams, but maybe Matt Williams, maybe Matt Williams next year. I'm, I'll, I'll still hold out. Hope he's got, he's got to, he's got to learn how to run around those screens. I think that's part of the problem. Definitely has to lose some weight. Yeah. Um, but look, if Ellington can learn something at this point in his career, the way he did in Miami, I don't see why a young player like Matt Williams can't. So maybe there's a possibility there. All right. You got me hopeful. Go Knights. Uh, our next question comes from at culture underscore 305, who blew us up on Twitter this weekend, uh, and he had a number of different uh, tweets, but we picked this one. He writes in, 
I love you, Donis Haslam, but I need an explanation on the whole keeping him as a player and not a coach. He hasn't been an average player since 2012, and yes, he twice sacrificed money for us, and he's Mr. 305, but people act like he deserves a statue. Two parts here. Number one, absolutely Udonis Haslam deserves mm-hmm. a statue. That's not a, up for debate right now. It should go right next to Alonzo Morning's statue. Um, and holding a go, Subway sandwich. And holding a Subway sandwich and in one hand and his mouth guard in the other, uh, or throwing yes. his mouth guard at a referee uh, <laughs> while, <laughs> while chewing a, a roast beef sandwich from Subway. Um, this whole expl- – we've gotten a few different questions here about – over the last couple of weeks yeah. – and this we tend it tends to come in phases, right? And in case we've picked up new listeners who haven't heard our explanation on why Udonis Haslam is a player and not a coach, David, you you are able to talk about this better than anybody. Explain to our our listeners, maybe the guys who have or the people who have not heard why Haslam is on the roster, taking up one of the fifteen roster spots. Yes, a valuable spot, but he is making an impact, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I think for somebody who's never been in an NBA locker room the way you and I have, it's kind of hard to understand the the kind of, and I, I maybe the word has a strange connotation, but the intimacy that forms there as a working environment, you know, the fact that you're traveling, the fact that everybody's playing for, for a job, for a salary, for everything else, uh, and you're competing against one another just as much as you are competing against 29 other teams and 15 other players on those 29 other teams. So, it's a very difficult high pressure situation there. And it's essential to have somebody that's a positive influence on that locker room. When tempers flare, when things get tough, when you're traveling for the second week in a row and you haven't seen home in 14, 15 nights, and you've been to Denver, Utah, Golden State, Sacramento, and Phoenix uh, over that time span, it, it gets really difficult. And you want to have somebody who can help you know, kind of uh, let help you blow off some of that steam. And I think a guy like like Haslam, who gets everybody to focus so completely uh, away from things off the court, but to focus on what's uh, what's most important is essential to team success. And not just that, but also during the offseason, the fact that at his age, that even though he's not playing, that he still trains as hard as, it do- as he does, sets such a positive example for everybody else. Like a guy like James Johnson came to this team two years ago and saw right away that Udonis, even though he's not playing much, still sets the bar incredibly high as far as training together, getting everybody together to focus on a singular goal. And that made all the difference in salvaging James Johnson's career. There's a good chance that Johnson is playing in China right now, if not for Udonis Haslam, kind of teaching him the way of of being a good NBA player and a good Heat employee. And I think that's essential for, for anybody who comes onto this roster is to understand that, yeah, as much as a guy like Dwayne Wade set the bar as far as his play on the court, has them always set the bar off of it. How to maintain yourself as a professional, how to train, how to get ready, how to do the right thing uh, in order to be the best player that you can possibly be. And wearing a uniform and not a suit makes a big difference. Having that kind yes. of, having that experience coming out of the mouth of a player, not a coach. I mean, you look, your players, your, your teammates are brother in arms, so to speak. They are on the same level as you, regardless of how much you're making or what your NBA experience level might be. They are on the same playing field there coaching is almost like middle management you're getting right you're probably tight with your coaches you're tight with a guy like say Jawan howard right but nobody none, none of these guys outside of house have ever played with Jawan howard so they don't look at it as a teammate they look at him as, a, as an assistant coach and that that's just there's something different there when it comes from a teammate and then players around the league respect what the heat are doing with a guy like haslam saying look play as long as you want we're going to pay you what what we can you know we're not going to come out we're not going to open up we're not going to roll the 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 trucks up to your garage and pay you a bunch of money, but 
We're gonna give you. We're gonna get you what we can. We're gonna take care of you, and you're gonna play a little bit. You're not gonna play a lot, but you're gonna play a little bit. Um, and and just just sort of go to this whole coaching thing. I think there's an idea that you can just hire somebody as a coach, and it's fine. There's a coaching staff in place in Miami, and adding another yeah. person to that would make a dramatic impact. You, the coaching staff is being developed in Miami just as the players are. I mean, you look at a guy like Jawan Howard who started as like the end of the bench assistant coach, player development guy. And is now one of the assistant, co- one of Spolster's right hand ma- men, along with Dan Craig, who subbed in for Spolster when Spolster was out, um, you know, with, for the birth of his child. Those guys got developed in Miami's coaching system, in the coaching ranks. There, you look at a guy like Dave Fisdale, who's moved on um, as a head coach and is, will hopefully get hired for another job here pretty soon. Chris Quinn, assistant coach uh, and player development guy recently hired he's got to develop you look at a guy like octavio delagrana a nice guy for a, a, a player development coach for them too doing good work for miami these are all guys who need space and need to have and need to be there you hire a guy like udonis haslam that's now five assistant coaches three player development guys and for what what is haslam going to teach that Jawan howard can't what is Haslam? And we don't necessarily know that haslam even wants to coach no. right I mean, you're just going to put Haslam in the locker room to scream and yell at the players. That comes a, that's a, a lot different than again. It, it, you can get away with that when you're also wearing a jersey and chewing on a mouthpiece. It doesn't work right. when you're in a suit and tie. It just comes off again as middle management just yelling at you, and that's not great. And and um, I just I don't think that Haslam. I don't think that's the role for Haslam. Now, if there is a role outside within the Heat organization outside of playing, put him in the broadcast booth. But you mentioned this before. I have mentioned it every time we bring this up because I think it needs to happen. Um, all right. Uh, I think those are all nailed that questions. Yeah, they are. Good. Um, well, that's all we have for today. We'll be back tomorrow with a recap of tonight's game against the Hawks. You can send mailbag questions and ask about advertising on the show by sending an email to lockedonheat at gmail.com. Tweet your questions in, our, in comments for our recaps using the hashtag AskLOHeat and support the show by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash lockedonheat. Music is courtesy of Mojave Wild. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. Roast beef. (laughs) Roast beef.